Lord God, Heavenly Father, from your majestic throne, you declared that it is finished, that you are making all things new. And even as we look ahead to the great day when you will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more suffering or pain or crying or mourning for the former things have passed away, so we know that in Christ Jesus, you have already begun to make all things new. Baptized into you, we are new creations in Christ. So teach us to live our lives hoping and trusting and believing firmly that what you say is true about us, that we are your dear children, purified in the blood of the Lamb, blameless in your sight. So teach us then to love one another. And bless us as we read this Gospel of John, as it teaches us about a reality that we cannot always see. Let us believe in Jesus as the Christ, and so by believing have life in his name. Amen. One other announcement. Um, we are having Bible study this Wednesday since I'm back in town. So Bible study Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. We are on Acts chapter 10. We will hopefully finish Acts chapter 10. Yes. Is that not going to work? Can we meet in the library? Okay, so Wednesday night we'll not meet here. We'll meet up in the library. Is that okay? Yeah. Can we unlock it? Is there a way to get it unlocked? Yeah. That'd be is that is that cool? Yeah. yeah, so we'll meet in the library. Unless it doesn't work. No, I'm just trying to dates are not in my mind right now. I know, man, either. I don't even know what day it is. I'm pretty sure it's Sunday because we're here, but you know, I could be persuaded otherwise. Okay, so Wednesday night we'll meet in the library. Um, if you if you're down here, there's a bunch of kids hanging out. You might notice that's not Bible study. Yeah. Okay. So John chapter 2, we're going to read 23 through 25, which is this last little paragraph. Remember in John 2, we have the, the wedding feast of Cana with the turning of water into wine, which is the beginning of this messianic ministry that's leading to the cross, right? The point of the wedding of Cana is the cross. We have all this stuff that points us to the cross of Christ. And then we go from there to the cleansing of the temple. And remember again, the cleansing of the temple is about the resurrection. So we have death and resurrection in this first chapter about the earthly ministry of Jesus, chapter 2 of John. And it says at the end of the the temple cleansing that when he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again, he meant his body. And the disciples realize that after the resurrection. So the Holy Spirit is teaching the disciples to believe what Jesus said. And remember, at the end of the temple cleansing, we said that Jesus' words are equal with Scripture. And this is a big thing. Remember that Jesus... Right? Jesus, Word of God. So when Jesus speaks... You can trust it just as much as you can the Old Testament scriptures. That's what John is telling the people who read his gospel. That you can believe Jesus just as much as you can believe Yahweh. Right? Because when Jesus speaks, that is the voice of Yahweh. Okay? And by believing this, you have life in his name. So that's where we're at. So let's read. Any questions on those things? That's a lot, by the way. All right, let's let's read uh, chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. 
Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about him, for he himself knew what was in man. Oh, boy. Okay, there we go. That's big, isn't it? So, number one, why didn't Jesus entrust himself to them? Because we're awful. Because we're awful. Because why would you? (laughs) Yeah, that's true, but that's not really the reason. I mean, there's nothing so far in this that says they're bad. Why doesn't Jesus entrust himself to them? Right. Good. Because he entrusts himself to God. And God is going to do the right thing with Jesus. The people are going to want to do the wrong thing with Jesus, even those who like him. Okay, this is one that is consistent, not just in the Gospel of John, but even the other Gospels, is that even those who are on Jesus' side will often try to get Jesus to do something that isn't what he's supposed to do. In the Gospel of John, it's going to be that they're going to try to make him king. They're going to try to make Jesus king. And Jesus is going to say, I'm not that kind of king. Right? I'm not that. Remember this. You guys know this very well. In Matthew 16, we talk about this all the time, where Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus goes, good job, Peter, although you get no credit for it. You said that because the Father taught you that, right? You don't have any credit for saying it. And Peter goes, yeah, great, cool. And he says, and I'm going to go die on a cross. And Peter says, no, you're not, right? And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So even those who follow Jesus, not those who are opposed to him, but his followers will try to tempt him to do something other than what the Father wants him to do. In this passage, people are seeing the signs of Jesus and they are believing in Jesus because of the signs. There's nothing negative in this passage. Nothing says, and their belief was false, or they were trying to deceive Jesus. No, no, no. They, they saw what he did. They're like, wow, that's impressive. I like you. I believe you. Right? And yet Jesus says, I'm not going to trust myself to that. It's not a popularity contest. Okay? Now, in the Gospel of John, there's no temptation account. Like in the other Gospel, where he goes off into the wilderness and Satan tempts him. What's Satan's temptation to Jesus in those Gospels? Right. To, to use Jesus' power to serve. Well, it's himself. Right? All of Satan's temptations are, if you do this, it'll be beneficial for you. And Jesus says, me? I'm not in this for me. (laughs) I'm serving God. Right? So Satan is always coming and saying, you should be looking out for number one. You should use whatever you have in your life to serve yourself. And Jesus says, no. So here, Jesus is doing signs in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. People are seeing it. And they're believing in him, and yet Jesus says, nope, not entrusting myself to that. Okay? Scott? So then why the phrase, for he knew what was in man? Yeah, so what is up with that? Well, and what we're going to find in the Gospel of John is that because even those who believe in him will not believe in him when they hear what he has to say. Okay? And you're going to find this 
This is going to happen. So let's, let's go look at it. So in John chapter 6, go to John 6. At the very end of the, John 6 is really long. So like go to, oh, let's see. Well, let's just go to the end. Let's go to 70. Well, let's go to 66. 66 through 70. John 6, 66 through 70. Well, let's go to 60. It just, it just keeps happening. So in John 6, Jesus, Jesus says it's the whole bread of life thing. And then he says, basically, you have to eat my body and drink my blood or you can't live. And they're like, ah, right? So John 6, 60 says, when many of his disciples, those are, who, those are those who are believing in him and following him, not his enemies. These are his friends. When his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself right? Just like John chapter two, that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? And he goes on, right? And then look at verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe for Jesus knew from the beginning who those words, who those were, who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. See, Jesus knows all this. He's not deceived by anything. He knows who really believes and he knows who doesn't. Okay, And he said, this is why I told you that no one come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go as well? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you to twelve? And yet one of you is the devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him, but hadn't yet at this point in the gospel, right? So Jesus knows what's going to happen. So he is not entrusting himself to people because it is not to people that you entrust yourself. You entrust yourself to God. Okay, and this is true for us as well. You don't entrust yourself to people. You don't define yourself by people's actions or people's love or people's affection for you or people's approval of you. Because guess what? It's going to change. People are going to let you down. People are going to walk away from you. Love of people will grow cold. People are, are a little, I don't know if you've met anybody, but people are a little selfish. Just a bit. And what happens is selfish people usually act selfishly. And those of us who are selfish and want the affection of other selfish people, when they don't give it to us, what happens? It hurts. And then we're lost saying, nobody loves me. And what Christ does is he says, that's not true. You are loved with a love that can never be changed. You are loved with an eternal love of the Heavenly Father. You are never alone. You are never forsaken. You are never unloved because God has said, in Christ, you are loved. Right? That's the love that we trust. That's the definition of who we are. Uh, we just need to be careful we don't say that he predestined some to hell. And he, I, mean, I did not say that. No. <laughs> <laughs> he knows. He foreknows, right? God has foreknowledge. He knows what's going to happen next. So he does not entrust himself to people. Even if they all end up believing, he still doesn't entrust himself to them. 
right? Because they believe only because of the Father's will. Right? Why do you have to be careful about that? Because he doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because the Bible never says he does that. So we don't want to say what it, that because the Bible doesn't, right? We want to stick with what Scripture says. So that's always good. It's always, it's always uh, whenever we talk about these kind of things, it gets, it gets difficult sometimes. Number two, so is Jesus man? Yes, yes. yes and yet he knows stuff that only God can know. So this is one of the places where he is true man, right? Nothing in the text says he's acting like he's not, he's not shining, he's not glowing, he's not 20 feet tall, he's just a normal guy, and yet he knows stuff that only God would know. Right? Who knows what's in the heart of man? God. And Jesus knows that. Okay? So Jesus has knowledge that only God has. And this is something you're going to find through the whole gospel, this theme running through it, is that Jesus has characteristics that are only applied to God. It might just be important for you to believe that Jesus is actually God. Okay? So remember, whenever we're talking about Jesus in the scriptures, we're always talking about true man and true God. Always. Right? How many Jesuses do you have? One. How many natures does he have? Two. How many Jesuses do you have? One. How many natures does he have? Two. All false teachings come from a confusion of those two things. Either you end up with two Jesuses or you end up with one Jesus with one nature. Or one Jesus with half a nature and a third of a nature or some kind of weird thing like that. And you get all messed up. So they say, well, that Jesus who died on the cross can't be God. So you have a divine Jesus who does miracles and you have a human Jesus who dies. Well, how many Jesuses do you have? Two. That's bad, right? So we say that's teaching was wrong. You can't have two Jesuses. You can only have one Jesus. And that Jesus you have how many natures? Two. So when Jesus is tired... In John chapter 4, he's wearied from his journey. How many natures are wearied from the journey? Two. Because there's one Jesus, and everything that happens to Jesus happens to both natures. So when Jesus dies on the cross, what natures die on the cross? Both. You have one Jesus and two natures. You can't say the divine doesn't happen, doesn't have any part of this, because Jesus isn't bifurcated, right? You have one Jesus, two natures. What? Bifurcated, cut in half. So when Jesus cries... Who's crying? Both. Both natures. Okay. So what do we say? We say there are certain things that happen according to a certain nature. So... Can God die? Just in general. No. Like I always tell you, in the application, it's the first box. Are you immortal? If, you, if you're not, you can't even apply for the job of being God. Right? It doesn't work. Mortals can't apply. So God can't die. Does Jesus die? Is he true God? Yes. So we say he dies according to his human 
nature. Does it mean his divine nature doesn't participate? No, it just means that thing is according to this nature. That nature is what's what we see in this action. So can God, can a human walk on water? No. So we say Jesus does that according to his divine nature. Does that mean the human nature isn't there? No, it means it's there. So everything Jesus does, so everything Jesus does, he does it according to two natures. Everything he does, he does according to he does with both his natures. But certain characteristics we we say according to this nature, he's hungry, he's sleepy, he's sad. According to this nature, he's the almighty. He knows everything, right? He conquers death in the grave. He dies for the sins of the whole world. That's not something that he does according to his human nature. It's something he does with his divine nature. Okay? But both natures are always active in everything he does because how many Jesuses do you have? One. How many natures does he have? Two. Two. Does he ever get rid of one of those natures? No. No. He always has them. So now in heaven, how many natures does Jesus have? How many Jesuses are there? Still true. No offense, but what was that crazy term you used when Jesus defers his... Exonation? Yeah. Yeah, it was a fun one, wasn't it? (laughs) (sighs) Exonation, which is a really fancy way to say humiliation. So in a state of humiliation, Jesus willingly withholds the full use of his divine nature. So in the state of humiliation, Jesus willingly does not use the full power of his divine nature. So Jesus, does Jesus need to eat? No, he's God. God doesn't get hungry. But during his time on earth, He withholds that part of his divine nature and says, I will be humble and will become hungry. So in the state of humiliation, Jesus withholds willingly, voluntarily refrains from the full use of his divine nature in order, this is important, in order to accomplish your salvation. He willingly says, I will not take advantage of the full use of my divine abilities, my divine nature, in order to vicariously suffer and die for you, in order, in order to stand in your place and live a righteous life. I will voluntarily not use the full measure of my divine abilities. Okay? So they're walking along the road one day and they will say, so, it's the whole second coming. What day? And he goes, I don't know. How can Jesus not know something? Right? God is omniscient. He knows everything. Jesus says, I don't know. They're walking along one, one day and somebody touches him. He goes, who touched me? And they're like, what do you mean who touched you? He's like, I don't know. Somebody touched me. What? How can Jesus not know that? Well, in the state of humiliation, he voluntarily refrains from the full use of his divine nature. So now in the state of exaltation, What is he doing? He's fully using his divine nature, which means 
how can Jesus be physically present on our altar and also on the altars in Tanzania? Just like Santa. Just like Santa. It's the Santa Claus present. No, 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 wait. (laughs) Jesus is now Santa. No, but it's the full use of his divine nature. It means he is omnipresent physically as he desires to be. Right? So Jesus can physically be everywhere at once. That's because he had to be in a state of humiliation because no man can stand before God. Right. It's, and that's evidenced in the garden. That's exactly right. who he is and he says, I am. I am. And they follow the John 18. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth? I am. Right. He's like, get up. Presence. Come here. You have to arrest me. They're like, okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, so his very presence with sinners is, shows that he is not exercising the fullness of his divine powers. When he comes back as judge, guess what? You best be looking out. Because you will see him in his full divinity. And you don't want to be against him at that moment. Because you will not be welcomed into his presence. Right? Only those who trust in him as their savior will be welcomed into his presence. Because he will be fully divine and you will see it. Right? Will he be fully human? Yes. Yes. Will you be fully human? Yes. Will you be fully divine? You. No! You will stay human! You will not become gods. You will not become angels. You will be humans. We will be changed, though. But you will be perfect humans. You've never seen a perfect human before. I can't wait to see one, right? I won't be looking through these, right? I mean, that's, that's the thing is we don't know what that's going to look like or taste like or feel like. Everybody says, oh, will we in heaven? And I go, I don't know what it's like to eat food that isn't interpreted through a sinful mouth, Right? I don't know what it's like to talk to you when I'm not a sinner and neither are you. I don't know. It's going to be better than this. I'm sure they'll still have donuts and coffee, but other than that, I don't know. I'm sure they would have comfy chairs, though. Yeah, probably more comfy chairs. (laughs) Or every chair, I don't know. The reason I said we would be divine is because we were made whole. Okay, good. You You will have some divine attributes given to you because sin won't be blocking them from you. So yeah, you'll, that's good. That's exactly right. You will be holy, but not in the same way that God is holy. Remember, God's holiness is, is different than any other... Well, hmm. God is not a being. Right? God is God, which is holy other than anything else. So we will never be in that category. We'll always be in a subcategory of created beings. But we will be perfectly holy within that reality. Would the unfallen Adam and Eve serve as a model for that? (sighs) What do you mean by that? Well, God created them perfect. Yep. And man and woman. Yep. Until the fall, they were perfect. Yeah, but we don't have much text before the fall. Yeah. We're naming animals. What's that? They were able to fall. Yeah, we won't. We won't be able to fall. Because Christ has died and been raised. 
which hadn't happened before. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not totally sure I, yeah, I shouldn't say much else. <laughs> the New Testament does not do that. The New Testament does not talk about pre-fall Adam and Eve as our model. It actually talks about Adam and Eve in a negative way, right? So in, in 2 Corinthians, Eve was deceived by the serpent. Don't do the same thing. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Eve was deceived by the serpent. In Romans chapter 5, Adam brought death into the whole world. What's that? And he's the old Adam. So, well, he's the first Adam. And Christ is the new Adam, second Adam. So there, there isn't a whole lot of text where it's like, oh, gee, our parents were so awesome before the fall. Let's be like them. There also isn't any... Do you guys know this? I shouldn't... Again, I'm getting in trouble. Oh, well, I've been in Africa. What are you going to do? Um, <laughs> the New Testament never quotes Genesis 3.15 as the first gospel. doesn't it just doesn't it's weird okay so so where does the New Testament go for gospel law and prophets the promised son of David and of Abraham. Okay? So remember, the New Testament looks back not to not to the garden. It looks back to Abraham and David. It's their seed. And that seed is Jesus. Now, the reason this is important is because these people, these are the people of God. Okay, so Adam and Eve really properly read our, our entry into the story of how God will have a people and will save them out of the condition that they're born into. Right? And Pastor talked about this in a sermon today. Is that the proper way to see ourselves is within our condition as sinners. And therefore the proper way to see the glory of God is that he saves sinners. Right? That's what he talked, preached about in the sermon today. Is that we're tempted to think the glory of God is all this bright and shiny stuff. But what it really is is, is the act of Jesus to save sinners. And that happens on a cross. So as we approach, as we approach God, we say, "How does God have a people for Himself when we're all sinners?" And that story is really a story of Abraham, David, right, and Israel. So this is all Israel. And the seed of the woman that's promised in Genesis three fifteen is actually the seed in the New Testament through Abraham and David. So that that's the seed we're looking for, right? If you don't believe, you read the Gospel of Matthew. That's how it starts. All right, that was a lot on two verses, or on two questions. So number three, let's read John 3, verses 1 through 8.
Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with them. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Okay, thank you. Very good. All right, this is really a fun text. There's a lot going on here. So, uh, number three. I, I changed a lot of these questions. Number three. When does Nicodemus come to Jesus? At night. So this is one of the big themes in the Gospel of John, is that things are going to happen at night, and night is dark. Right? Remember John chapter 1, verse 5? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So in the gospel the light is going to overcome the dark. And you're going to see this through the gospel. That John will say, and this happened and it was night. Okay? Scott? It says here in my notes that perhaps Nicodemus was afraid to come by day or he may have wanted a long talk right? Um, because there were crowds around. Yeah. So, so whether or not Nicodemus came at night for those reasons is a possibility. But the way that John tells it in his gospel is he'll make a, a point of noting that it was night for certain events so that we see this. But yeah, he probably literally, I mean, obviously he literally came at night. And why? Uh, we we kind of learn that um, Nicodemus was a follower of Jesus, but not publicly for fear of the Jews, like Joseph of Arimathea. So this is probably to avoid drawing attention to this meeting or because he wanted Jesus alone, which again, in John 18, which is the arrest of Jesus, that also happens at night. And explicitly there from the other gospels we learned, because if they did it during the day, the crowds would not let it happen. So they have to do it at night to be sneaky, right? Which is the works of Satan. Um, so yeah, there's an allusion to that as well. Um, but, but in the gospel of John, at night is definitely a theme that is not in the light. Okay? Um, the other thing I want to point out is that Nicodemus, I've told you guys this before, what does the name mean? Nico is conqueror, Demas is people. So he's, he's either the people's victory or the conqueror, the people's conqueror, or the people have victory or something like that. But Nico is conqueror or victory, and Demas is people. So he's the people's champion. So he buries Jesus, right? So at the end of in John 19, he comes with spices to bury Jesus. He also speaks up against the decision to kill Jesus. We'll get there later. Okay. Um, the other thing to note, real quickly, is that 
He is a man of the Pharisees and he came to Jesus. If you go to John chapter 1, um, John chapter 1 verse, was it 19? Well, actually it's, it's ex- explicitly in 24. John 1, 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. To whom? John the Baptist. And what they ask him? Are you the Christ? What does Nicodemus ask Jesus? You're from God. But he doesn't ask him, are you the Christ? Right? Isn't that weird? They think John the Baptist might be the Christ. But the Christ, they think, I don't know who you are, but you seem to be from God. So it's, it's interesting, these parallel accounts of this, this guy from the Pharisees or people from the Pharisees. It's probably people. We'll see how that shows up later. Um, who, who comes to Jesus. The other thing I want to show you, and this is the problem with having big, big numbers in your Bible. Um, it's best to read this text as though Nicodemus is an example of those we just talked about in chapter 2. Those who believe in Jesus because of the signs, but Jesus will not entrust himself to them. Now we have an example of one of those people talking to Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he believes in Jesus because of the signs he's seen, right? You must be from God because I've seen the signs you're doing. And yet Jesus does not entrust himself to Nicodemus. Doesn't say, oh good, I've got a leader of the Jewish council on my side. I will entrust myself to you. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He actually rebukes Nicodemus and teaches him, tells him he's wrong. Okay? So John chapter 3, especially the story of Nicodemus, is actually probably an example of one of these people at the end of John 2 who believed in Jesus from the signs, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them. Okay? So here we have it. All right, number number four. What is the kingdom of God? So in John in three three, he cannot see the kingdom of God, and in in, in verse five, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? Good. Christ in his presence is actually the kingdom of God. That's very good. So Christ, he is the kingdom of God. Okay? What else? How do we think about the kingdom of God? What do those words mean? Heaven. Heaven. A lot of people think of of heaven. Okay? Um, As a matter of fact, in the synoptic gospels, sometimes kingdom of God is, is actually kingdom of heaven. Right? To what should we go? Compare the kingdom of heaven. Susan? Promised land. Okay. It could also be the promised land from the Old Testament, which would be Israel. Right? So David is the king over God's kingdom. Right? That's an Old Testament Zion. You've heard in, in, in the book of Psalms, a lot of times we'll talk about Zion as the place where God reigns and God's people will live. So that's the kingdom of God. What else? It's his domain of evil. Yes, good. The kingdom of God, most simply way to think about it is it's God's reign. This is what it looks like when God reigns. When God is ruling the is ruling things, this is what it looks like. Okay? When God is in charge, the lame 
walk. When God is running things, the blind see. When God is running things, the dead are raised. Now listen to the book of Revelation from this morning. And he's before the throne of God and he says, the former things have all passed away. It's a new heavens and a new earth. It's a new game. Because God is reigning on his throne. And what happens? No more sickness. No more dying. No more pain. No more mourning. No more sadness. If you, if you are sad for some weird reason, God himself will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Because this is what it looks like when God reigns. When God reigns, death doesn't. When God reigns, sin is destroyed. When God reigns, you live forever. When God reigns, you're a child of God. When God reigns, we're all in this together. We're the body of Christ, right? So when God reigns, this is what it looks like. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you can't see that unless you're born of water and the Spirit. You can't see the reign of God unless the Holy Spirit teaches you how to see it. And this is one of the major themes of the Gospel of John is that there is a hidden reality. There is a hidden reality that you can't see unless the Holy Spirit teaches you how to see it. One of the things that you, you guys know about this very well is that Every once in a while, your pastor will remind you that you are a saint, that you are holy, that you are sinless. And you all go, that didn't sound right. Right? Or it certainly doesn't sound right for that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe me on a good day, but not that guy. But what's happening is those are the times when God is saying, no, 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 this is the reality, even if you don't see it. You have conquered sin. You have conquered death. You have eternal life. And you go, it doesn't look like that. It doesn't feel like that. You have joy. You have peace. You have gladness. I don't feel joy. I don't feel gladness. I don't feel peace. And God says, no, 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 no. I didn't ask your opinion. I'm telling you what reality is. You are loved. I don't feel loved. You are loved. See, there's a hidden reality. And the only way to see it is the Holy Spirit. Tom? There you go. Okay? Only the Holy Spirit can teach you how to see God's reality. Look and see God reigning. Listen to the gospel reading today in church. A new command I give you. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, love one another. Well, how did Jesus love us? He loved us with the reign of God. He said, when God is reigning... You don't look out for number one. You serve. When God is reigning, you literally give up your life to serve someone else. Why? Because your life is entrusted to God and he will take care of you. Right? So Jesus is saying, he says to Nicodemus, there's a whole reality that you can't even see. You have no idea. And the only way for you to walk into this reality is to be born of water and the spirit, to be born from above. And Nicodemus. Now, the weird thing is the word above also means again. It's the exact same Greek word. It's a word play. So Nicodemus goes, what, you want me to crawl back to my mom's womb? And Jesus goes, 
Thanks for proving my point. You can't even understand my words unless the Spirit leads you into understanding my words. See, even the words of Jesus are nonsensical unless you believe them. What does Paul say? We proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block for the Jews. Foolishness to the Greeks. But to us, the wisdom of God. That's the Holy Spirit at work. Question. I was just wondering if it's fair then to link this with Simon, my father, who revealed this to you. Yes. He seems to be, and this hit me the other day, thinking about this. Yes. So... That's why the disciples and all of the Gospels, and, and nobody offended at this, they're bumbling idiots. They don't understand a word Jesus is saying. They get it wrong at every turn until all of a sudden at Pentecost, they're preaching perfect doctrine. Right? How did that happen? How did they go from, I have no idea what Jesus is talking about, to proclaiming the Gospel to all people? Tom? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Right? That's the only thing that does it. The Holy Spirit teaches us to understand God's word. Does that make sense? All right, we got to go. Come back next week. We'll keep reading it. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, lead us into all truth by your spirit. that We might see in this world your reign in Christ. For we trust that in him death has been conquered, sin has been destroyed, and we are your children. Teach us so to love and so to live. And bless us now this week and keep us always in the one true faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.